Good morning, everyone. It is, it is good to be together. It's good to be able to, to worship together, and it's just a, a beautiful day out there today, and it's uh, a beautiful morning here inside as we worship God together. A couple of things before we get to, uh, get to God's Word today. I want to uh, talk to you for just a brief moment uh, about uh, some things happening with our staff and our staff structure. Uh, in, this, uh, in this season of, uh, you know, transition, one of the things that we are uh, praying about and talking a lot about is our staff, and especially as it relates to staff roles and the structure of our staff. And, and I think there are a number of things that we're, we consider as we, as we look at that. Certainly, we want our, our roles and, the, and the, the different ministries that we staff certainly to be connected to our vision and connected to our mission going forward. Certainly, you know, look at the, the, the growth areas that we feel uh, are, are, are evident and uh, for our church. We want to, you know, try to connect staff to those key areas. Um, and another very practical thing is looking at, well, what is a healthy staff ratio uh, for a congregation uh, the size of ours? And also when we look at the resources that we have and uh, a budget. So what is, that, what is that ratio? And so these are things that we are, are praying about and, and discussing. And so with an eye to uh, restructuring uh, staff, and there will be uh, no doubt changes and, and restructuring in that regard as we continue to pray th- through those those areas. There, there's one area that we certainly, as we work towards uh, further restructuring, there's one area where we want to certainly uh, move ahead on at this moment, and, and that's that we want to transition from uh, what currently exists as a part-time uh, youth uh, pastor position to a full-time uh, student ministries pastor that has oversight to youth and young adult ministry. Uh, you know, in this Philippian series, one of the questions that we asked ourselves is, uh, when it comes to our own discipleship, is, well, you know, in, in what ways do we need to adjust the, the sails of our lives to catch the wind of the Spirit? And I think that's also a question for us as a church. There's corporate application there. Uh, And so what ways do we need to adjust the the sails of our church to kind of catch that wind of the Spirit? And as you know, you know, uh, Michael has been serving in a, in a part-time role here along with Diane and faithfully uh, serving our, our youth and young adults. But you'll also know that Michael has an a, a, a even larger role as a chaplain with the Canadian Armed Forces. And I've been amazed at, you know, just the ministry opportunities that uh, has been afforded to him and just the lives he's able to touch there. And I believe through Michael and Diane's work, you know, there's there's just a great foundation that has been laid for us to now uh, continue to grow and expand that ministry as we really want to invest in the next generation and, and, and really seek to see further uh, growth spiritually, numerically in our youth and young adults. So 
Even as we continue to move to further restructuring and look at things like ratios and how staff connects to our mission, uh, we really have just felt this prompting that we need to move on this one uh, now. And so I just want to let you know that we're moving towards that. We'll be beginning uh, a search for uh, a person to, who might be able to fill uh, that role and uh, so just want you to continue to pray through us, uh, with us on that as we look to continue to, uh, to uh, strengthen this ministry, build upon that solid foundation that uh, has already uh, been laid as we as a church really strategically uh, continue to invest in emerging, uh, emerging generations. So want to let you know about that. If anyone's got any questions, comments, and things you'd like to talk to me more about, you know where to reach me. I'm here just about every day, so uh, I'm, you can come and, and talk, and we'd, we'd love to talk to you more about that. The second item. Now, if you're timing me, don't start your watch yet. The, the, second, the second item, and, 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 and someone has already commented that I have longer notes this week, so, you know, so... Just, just to prepare you. The, 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 second, the second thing is that yesterday we were involved in a really cool event called the coldest night of the year. And what a great turnout from Philpot. This is just Philpot team. Uh, and so this is, this is Team Philpot. We were a part of a much larger group uh, walking to shine a light on, uh, on homelessness here in the city. Just want to thank everyone who came out. Just a, a great uh, representation from our church. Thank you to those who are able to, to give. And uh, if anyone is con- interested in this, we were the top fundraising team of all the teams that were involved. And so we, we thank you. We thank you for that. But more important than that was just the ability to kind of shine a light on this issue, to join with our friends, with the Salvation Army, uh, to, to be in community with people, to, to, to just be there and to share this kind of community neighborhood spirit. So just a, a thank you to everyone who came out, and it was a, it was a great afternoon. All right, start your watches now. All right. By the way, there is a service here on Wednesday night, a special Ash Wednesday service, worship service, a lot of cool things planned. Invite you to come 7 o'clock, right? 7 o'clock Wednesday night. Okay, restart, restart your watch. Today we come to the end of our journey through the book of Philippians. And we've got a lot of ground to cover as we turn to the last chapter, chapter 4 of Philippians, which includes several very well-known and often quoted verses in, in this chapter. Um, you know, there, there, there's a sense in this chapter of Paul kind of shepherding now this, this church's heart. He's, he's guiding the heart of this church. Uh, how many here use the YouVersion Bible app? A lot of people use the YouVersion Bible app. It's the world's most popular Bible app. And, and YouVersion's 2019 verse of the year is in our scripture passage today. 
So in this passage is the most shared, the most bookmarked, the most highlighted verse among the global version community of 2019. So let's play a game. Unfortunately, there's no prize, but we're going to play anyway. It's Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read this, and uh, let's see if you can, uh, if you think you can identify what might be the uh, version 2019 verse of the year. Let's pick it up now in chapter 4, verse 2. Paul, finishing off his letter, says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is honorable and whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me but had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply Every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers, brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. So, to our contest, which has no prize. Which, which verse do you think was the 2019 U version's verse of the year? What's that? 13? Which is, I can do all things. Who else? 19, 6? 4? Eight? Seven? What are we playing bingo here now, are we? <laughs> the, 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 the verse of the year, the most shared, the most highlighted, the most bookmarked verse of the year is verse number six. And uh, let's, let's read it together, all right? Let's read it together and out loud. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, we'll, um, we'll, we'll park that there for a moment. There's, there's another very popular verse in this reading, a verse that has been printed on millions of keychains, T-shirts, cell phone cases, and coffee mugs, and that's verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this verse almost seems to function like some sort of a mystical charm for Christians. You know, when we need to draw power to complete a, a difficult task or to reach a new goal, we refer to verse 13. In fact, it's common for a lot of athletes, uh, you know, to use this verse, and they may, they may say this verse. They may have it painted on their bodies or embroidered on, on, their, on their equipment. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, boxer Evander Holyfield had this verse embroidered on his robe as he was going to fight then heavyweight champion Mike Tyson. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, meaning, I suppose, that with God's help, I'm going to beat the living daylights out of Mike Tyson. And he did. He wore it again when he later fought Lennox Lewis, I can do all things, but this time, he got beat up. So, let's, let's begin here in the text. Let's begin here before returning to the beginning of the passage. This, this, is a, this is a classic case of the importance of context. And so the phrase in verse 13, all things, must be governed by the context. And the context is about Christian contentment and material possessions, verses 11 to 13. Paul here is expressing thankfulness to the Philippians for their partnership which included financial support, this gift that was given to him. And so he's saying, Paul is saying, I've learned to be content whatever my circumstances. I've had some seasons, he says, in which all of my needs have been met and more. And I've had some tough stretches when things have been going very poorly. But Paul is saying, through, through it all, I've learned one of the most important lessons in life, and that's contentment. How to be content. Three things about contentment quite quickly. First of all, Christian contentment is unconnected to our circumstances. Christian contentment is unconnected 
connected to our circumstances. Um, like Christian joy, for example, contentment is independent of circumstances. It's independent of adverse circumstances because this Christian contentment has a different source and direction. Maybe some of you can relate to this, this poem that I, I came across this week. The poem says, It was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. But what do you think you need to be content? We've all got something, right? I mean, how would you, how would you fill in that, that line? If I only had this, I, I'd, I'd be content. If, 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 if this was only resolved, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be content. So, so the first thing about Christian contentment is that it's unconnected to our circumstances because it has a different source and direction. It ultimately, Christian contentment, ultimately, throughout the various seasons of life, finds Christ to be enough in all seasons. Second thing is that Christian contentment is learned. It sends here for Paul that it's, it's a process. It's learned in times of abundance and in time of need. And so Christian contentment is learned in the school of prosperity, but also in the school of poverty. And so it's, it's learned. It's, it's a process. And, and thirdly, it, it flows from our union with and reliance on Christ. And so the secret to Christian contentment is Christ is enough. And Christ empowers us to be content. This is the context of Paul saying, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Contentment is rooted in our relationship with Christ. Philippians 4.13 is really about God empowering us to be content in him throughout the seasons of life. Christian contentment means that even though things may not be as you wish, you are trusting God to work things out. And maybe, maybe there are some here right now who especially need God's help with contentment. Maybe you, you, you've stepped into this place of worship with whatever that is maybe unresolved and, and you need this morning God's enabling power to help you to rest and to be satisfied in the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And God can do that in your life through his power.
You, you can do that because through him, he, he strengthens you to do that. So Paul, Paul then goes on to, to finish the letter uh, by expressing appreciation to the Philippians for their, for their gospel partnership, their concern, their, their prayerful and their financial support, this, especially this financial gift that was, was delivered to Paul. And so in verses 14 and 15, uh, Paul thanks, thanks them for their gospel partnership. He thanks them for their generosity, how generous they were, even giving, giving sacrificially, giving, giving generously. And you know what, friends? Generosity is a real mark of people who've been touched by the grace of God. You know, let, let, let's be a generous church, amen? Let, let, let's be people who are marked by generosity. Generosity in our relationships, generosity in how we steward our, our resources. Let, let's, let's be people who are generous. And to this church who gave sacrificially and generously, Paul says in verse 19, he says, look, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. You know, don't worry that now you've given sacrificially to help me and in your partnership in the gospel. Don't worry, because God is going to supply your needs as you give to the needs of others. As someone wrote, the Philippians supplied Paul's needs sufficiently, and now Paul assures them that God will supply all their needs out of his infinite resources. And, and we can be sure that God will provide these two things. We can be sure that God will provide everything we need to live for Christ and everything we need to serve the gospel. We, we can be sure of that this morning, friends, as a church. We can be sure that as we keep that focus, that we can trust the rest with God. God will provide for us, for this church, for this community of grace, everything we need to live for Christ and everything we need to serve the gospel. So let's, let's live for Christ and let's serve the gospel, shall we? So let's, let's back up then to verse number two. A major, a major theme of this letter, as many of you have been tracking along in, in this series, a major theme has been that of unity. A unity that exists in a context of others' focused humility. And for much of the letter, Paul's call for unity has been general. Well, that's about to change as Paul, in, as he goes to, the, to, to finish this letter, he turns his attention to actually specific people within the church. Specific, he addresses a specific issue and calls out specific people. Verses 2 and 3. Look at it again with your Bible there. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And I ask you also, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You know, when I was a kid, I remember... Uh, the amazement one. I, I, it, I think it was a Christmas, but I remember getting this book and, and getting this book only to discover that my name and the names of my friends were actually in this book. And so again, my 
you know, parents had ordered this book somewhere and it actually put my name and the names of my friends into this story. And I remember as a kid being utterly amazed reading the story. I'm, in the, I'm the central character of this story. I mean, that's never going to happen again. And all of my friends' names are with me in this story. And I just remember being in utter amazement that I'm in this story. I can only imagine the amazement for these two women as they're sitting in a congregation and, and someone is reading this letter. And all of it, you know, Paul has been, this letter is being read aloud in, in, in the gathered congregation. And, and Paul has been quite general. And then all of a sudden they're sitting there and, and they're being called out by Paul in the midst of everyone. You can imagine uh, how um, amazed and probably uh, startled they were to hear them being called out in, in such fashion as they're reading the letter. And Yodia and Synthetry, work out your differences. If, if they were kind of drifting off, as some of you have a habit of doing, if, if, they, were, if they were drifting off, all of a sudden they're, they're coming to attention. We don't know the exact cause of the issue. It must have been an unresolved serious problem that was affecting the entire church. These two women are, are, were prominent members of the Philippian church. They appear to have had a very influential role. Paul, you'll note, says that these ladies labored side by side with him in the gospel. I mean, these are frontline workers, co-workers with Paul. Of course, this should come really as no surprise since many women played a prominent role in the early church and especially here in Philippi. If you go back to Acts chapter 16 as, as back when we started this series back nine or ten weeks ago uh, or, or longer than that perhaps, um, back in Acts chapter 16, you know, Paul visits first this group of women by a riverside. And from that, a, a lady named Lydia, the first convert, Lydia comes to faith. She's baptized. She opens up her home to Paul and his team. And her home would become the, the gathering place for this new church. We also know there was another young girl who was saved, one of the, another, another young convert. And now, and now we have these two ladies who are being, uh, called out, but also identified as co-workers with Paul, frontline workers in leadership with Paul in this church. And what we know is that these two leader, leaders were in conflict, perhaps standing on opposite sides of some issue. And no doubt we've all been there, standing on an opposite side of an issue. But, but this is no doubt negatively impacting this church. And you know, some of us and, and, and I, I can relate to this. We, we, tend, we tend to become entrenched, right, in, in our positions. And some of us may struggle with that more than others. Uh, you know, we, we become convinced that we, we always hold the right position, that, that I'm always on the right side of every issue. I'm thankful that life experience and God's work of grace in my own life has taught me over the years to become a lot less entrenched and um, to become a learner and someone who uh, listens and, and, and wants to learn from 
different sides of any type of conversation. You know, it's like being, like being in, in, on some sort of board. And many of you have had the experience of, of serving on any, any type of board. And, uh, you know, positions can become entrenched. And you could be in a board meeting and, you know, you know sometimes an issue becomes to a vote. And, and the vote may go, well, George, Stacy, Dan, Evan, and Mercia are for the proposal. God and I are against. <laughs> you know, you, 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 you get that, right? You be, we become... We become entrenched, and we think that, well, our position has to be the only right position. Paul addresses this issue, whatever it is, head on, and says, look, guys, agree in the Lord. Paul is calling for a new mindset. He's saying, direct your minds toward unity. And a new mindset is a recurring theme in this letter. The same word here appears other times. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 2, Paul talks about complete my joy by being of the same mind. In chapter 2, verse 5, he says, have this mind. And chapter 3, verse 15, let those of you who are mature think this way. Same word appears throughout this letter. And so resolving this dispute will mean a new mindset. It will require these two ladies directing their minds toward agreeing. As, as one person writes, Paul is urging them to have right attitudes towards each other so that they may work together faithfully. But where does this mindset come from? Well, Paul has carefully laid out the groundwork for this in the letter. This mindset comes from thinking deeply on and imitating the humility of Jesus who gave up his rights for the good of others. And so to resolve differences, we need the attitude of Jesus. And so Paul says, agree in the Lord. The implication is that a right attitude toward others comes from really thinking deeply about our union with Jesus. See, the, the, the common bond is Jesus. Jesus is what makes unity amid diversity possible. And it's quite likely that the cause of this dispute may go back to Paul's earlier references in the letter to things like pride and selfish ambition and rivalry. So it could be that this was a power struggle or uh, about control in the church. And the only way to resolve this, Paul says, is to have the attitude of Jesus, the humble attitude of a servant. Direct your minds towards an other's focused humility. And as they each yield to the Lord, they will be able to have a right attitude toward each other. So, you'll see in verse 3 very quickly that it also seems that Paul thinks they may need a little help. Uh, and so while we again don't know exactly who Paul is referring to there in verse number three, as you can see, Paul seems to call for a moderator, someone to come and help these two co-workers uh, come together in, in unity. And a lot of times, you know, uh, for, for this type of unity to happen, uh, we need to be open to awkward conversations. And not to be afraid of awkward conversations. It's often through awkward conversations that this type of unity is able to, to be achieved. And so may our relationships be marked by 
a grace-filled, others-focused humility. Well, Paul is shepherding the heart of this church. There's a call to agree. Then there's a call to rejoice. In verses 4 and 5, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And so joy, as we've said before, is a distinctive mark of a Christian. Um, Commentator Gordon Fee writes and says, Joy unmitigated, unhindered joy is, or at least should be, the distinctive mark of the believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, Karl Barth commented that from the force of these commands to rejoice, that joy in Philippians is really a defiant nevertheless. Nevertheless, rejoice. And if you go back and and look at the command to rejoice, you know, back in 17 and 18, Paul talks about, you know, being, he says, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and will rejoice, right? Nevertheless of this circumstance, nevertheless rejoice. Down in verse 30 of chapter 2 into verse 1, You know, he's talking about Epaphroditus. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. But then he says, he says, finally, my brothers, in verse 1, rejoice. Again, this defiant nevertheless. And then right after this conflict passage that we've talked about in verse 4, again, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And so Bart says, you know, that, that joy in Philippians is this defiant nevertheless. In other words, it's a response that does not fit the circumstances. That, that God gives us a response to circumstances that just don't fit. I mean, we, we shouldn't experience joy, but yet God, despite what is going on, enables us to have this defined, nevertheless, I will rejoice. Well, how is this possible? Where does this kind of unmitigated joy come from? It, again, it grows from our union with Jesus by thinking deeply upon gospel truths, never losing our wonder of the gospel. Christian joy is a constant orientation of our life with Jesus. And so our joy is found in Jesus and in pursuing Jesus. It's a, it's a gift of God to those who are in Christ. And it transcends our circumstances. And it really becomes our strength. And so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'll say Rejoice, And coupled with this call to rejoice in verse 5, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And so uh, this verse has been uh, variously translated, as as many of you will, will recognize. It's been translated as let your graciousness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Uh, Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And so the term Paul uses here is, is a little tough to nail down, but in its context, most likely is pointing us towards a gentle patience with people. This gentle patience towards everyone. And by God's grace, an attitude of kindness where the normal response could very well be retaliation. 
Paul again is reminding the Philippian church that their public image should be of a gentle, gracious community. And Paul says, remember, the Lord is close. The Lord is near his people to give joy, and he's present as reconciliation is sought. Well, we come full circle then to what was the most shared and highlighted and bookmarked verse of 2019. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why were the Philippians anxious? There are a number of clues in the letter. There's indication that they face some external threats. They were working through some internal opposition. They were concerned for Paul. They were concerned about Epaphroditus, who they sent to deliver the gift. And they were, seems, concerned about God's provision in their lives. And so there was a number of things that were causing them to be anxious, to, to worry, if you will. Uh, what, what's causing you anxiety right now? What is, what is, what is causing you to, to worry? A lot of times, anxiety stems from anticipating the future, as someone said, in the worst kind of way. And so, you know, the, the focus of anxiety in our text, I think, is an anxiety that relates to God's providential care over us. And there's, there's plenty of things for us to worry about, right? There's plenty of things to worry about. You look at the news or look at global affairs and you bring that down to another level there's plenty to worry about in each of our lives and our circumstances and raising families and you add to that maybe some some health worries and maybe some economic worries and there's there's lots to worry about and a lot of times we 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 experience anxiety because again we we anticipate the future in the worst kind of way you know, it's almost like, you know, when you're sick and you try to diagnose yourself on, on Google, right? You, oh boy, you know, I've, I've had myself in, in dire straits many, many times by uh, trying to diagnose uh, my, my, my symptoms. Uh, I'll continue on, but time is moving. I was going to go somewhere, but we'll, 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 we'll continue on here. It's probably best I do anyway. There's lots to worry about. What, what, what does anxiety do to us? Um, it's a joy killer. It, uh, it distracts us. It, it robs us of our peace. There are sometimes physical results to prolonged season of anxiety. And it could be mood swings or irritability or anger or sometimes a rapid heartbeat, chest pain, exhaustion, insomnia, any number of physical Results to prolonged anxiety. And anxiety here is, is, I think, to suffer the tension of your hopes pulling in one direction and the trials of life pulling in the opposite direction. And the person in such a situation 
feels like he or she is being pulled apart and is at the breaking point. And so Paul, speaking into this kind of anxiety, says to the Philippians, don't be anxious. Don't, don't, don't worry. Let's look at it again, verses 6 to 9. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God And the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure and lovely and commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says... In a sense, replace the anxiety you feel with the peace that comes through a posture of prayer and learning to think deeply on praiseworthy things. And again, we're being invited into this new pattern of thinking to to adjust the way we think. Uh, You know, there's that great verse from the prophet Isaiah where he says, you know, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. That's a great image. And I think Paul is inviting us as we, as we struggle with anxiety, he's inviting us into this, this posture of prayer, this posture of waiting. I think he's inviting us into this grace-paced rhythm of life where we are able to slow down, to hide God's word in our lives, to make time for quiet meditation to read and reread passages of scripture of listening to the spirit and discovering the gift of music and and how that has a just a profound impact on our lives you know and i i i i've had the personal experience and benefit of of many of these practices Many of you are in, you know, have a variety of vocations represented here, and, and you know, there, there, there's life, and then there's your vocation, and if you're in a position of leadership, and you add, you know, the pressure of making decisions onto life, and you have this, you have this, you, you, you can get in this, this, this routine of not slowing down, and, but then the, 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 the faster you go, the more you worry, and you, 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 you worry about the impact of decisions and how things are going to, people are going to react. And, 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 and there's all kinds of things that just kind of crowd in on your mind. But I've, I have learned and I'm learning more and more just how important it is to, to, to slow down, to pray, to meditate, how, how worship, both private worship and corporate worship centers me and how it really affects my mind and my heart. And and in those seasons when I have felt anxious, whether it's a combination of of being anxious over maybe personal decisions and family along with with, with work things, I've learned how just slowing down and and, and reading scripture or turning on a worship song and just being in, how that just centers me and 
and just causes this, this anxiety to leave. Even this morning, just sitting there and, and, and just, and just uh, first times not singing, but closing my eyes and, and listening to, to Jesse and the team just, just sing and say, you know, as the deer pants for, for streams of water, so my soul longs. Just being able to drink that in. These are the practices, friends, that Paul, I think, is, has in mind that, that is inviting us to slow down and, and, and to, to come into these practices that center us and really have a profound impact on our lives. Time to look to Jesus, but to look at Jesus. Learning the art of continually preaching the gospel to myself over and over and over again. I want you to know that the the faster you live life, the more anxiety you're going to experience. It is true. The faster you live life, you might think you're getting more done. You're not really. The faster you live life, the more anxiety you're going to experience in your life. And so Paul says, don't... Don't worry, don't be anxious. And what a beautiful promise for those who learn this posture of prayer and this new pattern of thinking. Here's the promise. May it speak to your heart and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Since peace is contrasted with anxiety, for Paul, peace is this inner sense of contentment that's supplied by God. And Paul wants the Philippians to understand that despite their circumstances, God is in control. And as they turn their energy from worry to thankful prayer and a new way of thinking, peace is going to guard their lives. Peace Peace will envelop them. Peace will surround them and cover them and sustain them. God's peace that comes from thankful prayer and right positive thinking will protect our minds from every thought that leads to fear and distress and keeps us from trusting God. And the location of this protection, friends, is in Jesus Christ. God's peace will guard our lives and God's peace transcends human understanding. God's peace guards our minds and frees us from anxiety in a way that yet defies human logic. What does Paul mean? I think he means the peace of God transcends all understanding and again, we do not respond to circumstances as anticipated. God, once again, in response to this way of life, he supplies to you and I an attitude, in this case peace, that does not fit the normal response. How is it that you can experience peace when your life, as it seems, is raveling out of control? The only answer to that, friends, is this is the supernatural gift of God to people who are in Christ Jesus. God's ultimate gift to those who trust is peace and joy. Jesse, come and help us land this plane. In a world gripped by fear, our calling is to live out 
the gospel of peace and point people to its source. So many other things we could have covered in this chapter, but Paul, like a shepherd, in this last chapter is really shepherding the heart of this church. He's saying, look, be united. Rejoice in the Lord. Be gentle. Replace anxiety with God's peace through prayer. Think about praiseworthy things. And then he ends the letter as he began the letter with a blessing of grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit. God's grace. God's work in us to bring about what we cannot bring about on our own. God, we ask for a fuller experience of your grace, daily, empowering, equipping grace. Can we sing that song, Jesus, strong and kind? That song you sang earlier, Jesse, thanks. I got a tendency of just kind of throwing a different thing, but we'll, we'll just do it. Let's, let's stand together. That, that's, a great, that's a great song. Jesus, strong and kind. Um, as, we, as we clue up our service this morning, if th- there may be those of you and, and you, want, uh, you want prayer. And uh, I'll be here at the front. Others may be here uh, as well, here at the front. Um, maybe, maybe there's a sense in which you want prayer for anxiety. Maybe there's something that you're worried about God's provision and you just like someone to pray for you. We'll be here at the front. We invite you to come and, and receive prayer today. But as we, as we sing this great song, let's just be reminded the greatness of our God and his provision in each of our lives. Thanks, Jesse. Let's lead us in this song. Jesus said that if I I should come to him. I should come to him. No one else can no one else can satisfy. Hear that friend. No one else. So come to him this morning, amen. Sing it out. For the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus. Jesus strong. Let's lift our voice and sing it together. For the Lord. 
struggling with any type of anxiety today just just breathe in for a moment just breathe in this atmosphere of the presence of God his peace in the midst of troubling life circumstances God giving you a response that's just doesn't make sense. It's, it's not ordinary. It's God's supernatural peace. If you're here and you haven't come to a place of saving faith, and I want you to know that Jesus has, has come for you. He's coming to you. He's visiting you right now. I pray that just respond to him in faith and say, yeah, Jesus, I believe. I believe you are my Savior. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are strong and kind. You're our shepherd. Thank you for how you provide for us and you lead us. Thank you for how you empower us to be 
in the various seasons of our lives. And for those who may be struggling with that this morning, I pray that you will, by your grace, empower people to be content and satisfied in you this morning. Lord, by your grace, help us to agree together. Help us to learn what it means to walk and live in unity today. Lord, may we find our joy in you this morning. Empower us, Lord, to be joyful people. Joyful people. Help us to be a joyful church, God. We find our joy in you today, God. Help us to have patience as we treat each other and recognize that you're near us, Lord. And Lord, help us to turn our anxiety into a posture of prayer and waiting and thinking upon all things that are good and praiseworthy. And I pray that you'll replace anxiety in this place this morning with that sweet, sweet peace. Peace that surrounds and envelops. Peace that is rooted in your provision that you will supply all of our needs. We thank you for your grace. We're thankful for your ongoing work in our lives. And dismiss us now with your blessing and your favor. Help us to live this week, Lord, with you at the center of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you like prayer, please come and see us.